impressive Irish scrum. And O'Gara with a little kick and there's belief there for Ireland and maybe there's something in this. Maybe the opportunity is there. It is Tommy Moe. Magic. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Welcome to the Let Me Explain podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever it is you're listening. A very special episode this week because, of course, it is Rugby World Cup week. We are uh, diving in Ireland facing their toughest pool, toughest quarterfinal ever, but also with the best team ever. And we want to know what's it like to be at a Rugby World Cup from a player's point of view? Because you always see the fans going boozing and having a great time. We know what it's like here. We get really excited at the weekend and then kind of go back to our day jobs during the week. But what's it like for the lads who are living it and who better to tell us but two-time World Cup tourist uh, Ireland's third highest sky uh, try scorer in history former British and Irish line former Grand Slam winner one of Ireland's best ever wingers it is Tommy Bowe Tommy welcome to the podcast Hi Sean thank you very much that's uh, quite the intro thank you bring uh, back good memories yeah working on that for days uh <laughs> to get everything in you actually I I don't mean this in a bad way but when I I, I kind of thought someone would have caught you for that third try record and I know Keith Earls has gone ahead of you and there's only Brian O'Driscoll and look at the rest of them like that that's going to be very hard to beat there's no one close to you in the modern crop uh, there is not Jacob Stockdale was on a hell of a trajectory I think he'd like 16 tries in nearly two seasons so he looked like he was uh, definitely going to pass me out but uh, thankfully my voodoo doll worked. <laughs> the poor guy looks like he's struggling at the minute. But uh, no, I, I'd say, listen, I, I retired as the second top try scorer, still well behind Brian O'Driscoll. Um, Keith Earls has passed me out. I'd say it's not going to be long before somebody catches me up. But yeah, it was nice. It was a nice thing to retire with. Absolutely. Will you comfortably be in the top 10 for decades? I think we can we can certainly say that, whatever. I hope so. Hope so. So let's go back. Let's maybe start with your World Cup experiences because you were you were in the Ireland team you made your debut in 2004 and you didn't make the the World Cup in 07 I'd say you were probably gutted at the time but in hindsight maybe no harm I have to be honest with you 2007 was probably the lowest point of my career at that stage um, to not make the World Cup like the World Cup for rugby players and unfortunately for Ireland we haven't really succeeded we haven't done well at all considering how well we've done um, in the likes of Six Nations and in, you know, in friendlies. But we have never got past a Rugby World Cup quarterfinal. Um, and it's a real sad reflection of some of the rugby that's been played. And to not make the 2007 World Cup squad, you know, back then it was about 30, 31 players made it. From my first cap in 2004 right through to 2007, I was generally always in or in and around that 30-man squad. Um, but about two years before that, I played against France and Six Nations. Things didn't go great for me. I started on the wing. Uh, Cedric came and passed me within, I think, the first fifth, five minutes of the game. I got taken off after 45 minutes um, and got a zero out of 10 in the paper, which is uh, something that you don't see too often. I mean, you think you'd get a, a one for running out onto the pitch. Um, so I was on a bit of a low ebb at that stage. I thought I'd find a bit of form. But unfortunately, Eddie O'Sullivan didn't pick me for 2007. And and at that stage, I really did um, question, you know, where am I going with my career at the minute? But the way things turned out, yeah, that World Cup did not go well. And speaking to all the guys who did go on that tour, um, 
yeah, I absolutely dodged a bullet there. Mm. And then obviously you looked at the story writes itself. You have 2009, you're in the team, you play all the matches, a Grand Slam winner, that that try that will be etched into our minds forever. The O'Gara trip, uh, uh, chip over the top, uh, you picking it up, the wind knocked out of you by Gavin Henson and then the internal <laughs> commentary of Tom Evo lives forever. And then 11, what was your, that was your first World Cup then. What was the, what was the experience like? I, yeah, 2011, listen, I, following on from 2009, I've kind of got to establish myself back into the squad again. And as I say, a Rugby World Cup, it's just a really important moment. It's a, it's an incredible honour to be picked to go on a World Cup. And you'll see that um, by even the guys who are being interviewed at the minute who've won European Cups, who've won Six Nations, but they're still so delighted to be named in a World Cup squad and getting the opportunity to go to a World Cup and represent their country. So for me, yeah, 2011, um, it was in New Zealand, that World Cup, which I suppose uh, they would see themselves as the real home of, of rugby, given their standing in the game. And we knew it was going to be a difficult tour, but whenever we normally go to New Zealand, it's in June, and it's the height of their winter. So it's pouring rain, it's windy, it's wet. And you see from everybody at home in Ireland, it's the only sunny spell of the year. It was nice to go there in September with a bit of nice weather. And I was actually just watching back before we came on um, the, the Ireland-Australia game. And you get an intercept almost on your own line. And the James O'Connor chase down. <laughs> I just see they actually put a little speedometer over the two of you. 33 kilometers an hour, Tommy Bow. Uh, you know, that was so that was at the end of the game like we that the the energy that went into that match Sean you know we played we had Australia in our group Australia were massive favourites and we played them in Eden Park in New Zealand and we were ahead obviously going into the dying minutes of the game Australia were camped on our line everything was going their way and yes Quade Cooper kind of threw the ball out the back I intercepted it and I have to explain to you you know, catching an intercept is a wonderful thing and scoring a try is a wonderful thing. Catching an intercept and realizing that you have 95 meters still to run is the most terrifying thing ever. So, yeah, I took off like the clappers. I hit the quicksand after about 20 meters and all of a sudden I could see in my rearview mirrors uh, James O'Connor hairing across from the corner of the pitch. Um, and, yeah, he tapped on me into touch and everybody says to me, why didn't you kick it infield to Johnny Sexton or... Why didn't you change the the ball and and fend him off? I was so so knackered, <laughs> and uh, I'm also going to say that I ended up having a torn calf after that. So so I'll correct that. Thirty uh, thirty miles an hour was it uh, with no kilometers an hour? Surely uh, with a torn calf um, in the last minutes again. But listen, it relieved the pressure. It meant that uh, it we ended up going on to win the game, and uh, yeah, still people laugh at me and slag me about that one. No, still, it's faster than I've probably ever moved in my life, so I can't give you any sort of a slagging on it. Um, when you were say, when you talk about selection, and I've kind of always wondered this: Do you know, like, do you know that it's going to be a day? You obviously don't know what the call is going to be. You were you were a fairly mainstay in the team at that stage, but like, are you waiting around knowing that in that case, Declan Kidney or Joe Schmidt, they're going to call you at some point during the week, or do you at least know? Okay, it's today the call is coming. Is this call for, for selection for selection for the world to get into the squad? Okay, yeah, it's very different, and different coaches do it different ways. I'll, you know, when I didn't get the call back in two thousand and seven, we were told that we would all be getting. We were staying in the hotel in Kalini Castle, 
and we were told that uh, Eddie O'Sullivan would be going to the rooms, knocking on the door and letting guys know so that basically if Eddie O'Sullivan came and knocked on your door, you knew that you were not going to the World Cup. So I remember being in the room, peering out of the little hole in the door and you could see him pacing up and down the corridor and he went to J- Jamie Heaslip's room, gave him a knock on the door. He was gone. Went to Luke Fitzgerald's door, knocked on the door. He was gone. But there was no, no knock on my door. First. So I was thinking, oh my goodness, I've made the squad. I was ringing my dad thinking, I think I've made it. Even though I kind of had an inkling that I you know, this, I, I just wasn't sure I should have uh, made the squad or not, given the way uh, people have been talking lead up to it. Anyway, the next morning we went down to do a team a pool session and I was in the pool the whole squad was there but there was myself there was Gavin Duffy and there was a guy called Brian Carney who was a rugby league convert uh, so they were the three guys going for basically two slots so the, t- the three of us saw each other thought uh oh something's not right here <laughs> and I remember getting out of the pool getting showered heading towards my room and along came Eddie O'Sullivan and he said sorry uh, I didn't get to you last night uh, you're not in the squad. So so that was a bit of a heartbreaking one, given the fact that, you know, I didn't get the knock on the door the night before. I told my parents I think I was involved and then to be told on the side of the pool in front of the whole squad. Oh, quite crushing. Um, so that was 2007. 2011 was just uh, we got an email to let us know that if we are in or out. And I remember the email came through and I was at that stage quite confident that I would have been in the squad. So I was happy enough. And then 2015 was an odd one because I was playing quite a lot at that stage for Ireland, but I had come back from pre-season probably not in the best shape that I could have been because I was on honeymoon, and that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, so pre-season didn't go well for me, and I knew I was touch and go on that one. And I remember we were to get a phone call uh, the night before the squad was announced. And I remember my phone was there, and it's one of these ones, myself and my wife, you're expected to get a phone call between after three o'clock and I like my phone died twice because I was checking it so much to see whether I got a phone I was like if Joe was ringing or not Um, and actually turned out that if you did have a phone call you were not not going to the World Cup if you didn't get a phone call you were thinking that you were going to go and at about 10 past nine we had just had a Chinese uh, take away myself wife thinking well that's that's it I'm going to the World Cup when all of a sudden the phone started ringing up pops Joe Schmidt and uh, obviously my heart sank and I went outside and took the call thinking that the World Cup was over but he actually told me listen you're not in the world are you it? you are in the World Cup squad I've had to let some guys who I'm big big fans of know that they're not going and um, you need to book up your ideas and uh, and put a lot of trust in you so that was the kind of kick up the arse I needed. And I think I went on and, and ended up going quite well in that World Cup. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Um, but as you mentioned, you were on a honeymoon. Uh, how did Lucy react when you told her? Because on one level, I'm sure she was delighted for you. On another, she was losing you for quite a bit of time. Yeah, well, that was it. That's the reason. And I'm blaming Lucy, obviously, for me coming back, back to <laughs> not the best shape. But yeah, we got married in 2015. The funny thing is when you are getting married, it's hard to plan it for whenever everybody's going to be on holidays. So the World Cup is the one time you can kind of book it when you know when the designated holidays are going to be. So we went uh, to the Maldives for our honeymoon. 
brilliant time, two weeks. I tried to do a bit of training on the beach, but ended up I was me running up and down the beach was ruining a lot of other honeymooners and their uh, time shares and uh, and and beautiful romantic pictures. So I didn't do that much to be honest with you. So I landed back um, to uh, Ireland on a Sunday afternoon. And I packed my bags and said goodbye to Lucy. I went to Carton House after that. And pretty much bar, bar the odd day or, or so there, I literally said goodbye for 16 weeks because you have a 10-week preseason and six weeks at the World Cup. So that was a great start to married life. Yeah, well, she's still with you. So that, you know, she she held on through that. <laughs> it's not so bad going. What exactly. was what was 2015 like? Because you hear mixed things about as much of it as the genius Joe Schmidt was, you do hear mixed things about his camps. And obviously then there was the final game in the pool against France uh, and a bunch of people went down. And then that quarterfinal that, you know, you think on another day we really should have won against Argentina. Yeah, the World Cup uh, preseason is incredible because like the team at the minute, they're based in Carton House. In Kildare, there's two golf courses there. They have a rugby pitch and gym. Everything's on site and it's an amazing facility. Like whenever we were there with Decking Kidney in 2011, it was really gimmick and, and the sun was shining. It was gorgeous. So we would train, get our weights, get everything done. And by about one or two o'clock, we were kind of finished. So I, my handicap in golf came way down because most days we were going out and uh, we took the golf buggies out and we played nine holes most evenings. So that was the dream. Uh, and then on came Joe Schmidt and that was the end of the dream because in 2015 that preseason was there was just no downtime it was full on you know if you weren't trained on the pitch you were in the gym if you weren't in the gym you were doing mental preparation if you weren't doing mental preparation you were looking at analysis of the opposition so it was just full on um, but that's listen that's why Joe was this, as successful a coach as he was you know there was no stone left unturned and I think we went into that World Cup probably in as good a shape as we could have been. And as you say, that match against France to top the pool, we lost Paul O'Connell. I think Johnny Sexton was injured. Sean O'Brien, Jared Payne, you know, huge casualty list after that. And going into a quarterfinal with so many players missing, you're really struggling. So that was against Argentina. And um, and after 14 minutes, I got injured and then we were really shagged. Yeah. <laughs> that was the dual moment of it. What do you do for 16 weeks? Like, how do you keep yourself entertained? How do you avoid not getting sick of the sight of each other and, you know, whoever you're around the whole time? Yeah, well, that's it. You know, you have roommates for a lot of that. So you're, um, you know, you're trying to, you know, down download TV shows and series and all watching movies. The team room becomes a real communal ground where they'd have table tennis table and, I remember at the back they had a basketball hoop and um, you have like kind of endless amount of snacks and food and uh, you have obviously all the computer screens there to do video analysis and stuff. So listen, as things have got more and more professional, there's less and less downtime. But actually looking back on it, and I think Andy Farrell, you know, speaking to a lot of the guys who are involved in the camp this time, uh, it, Andy Farrell's changed that because there was actually no time to switch off with Joe Schmidt there. And I think that that, you know, when you were together with each other for 16 weeks, um, you know, that really wears thin and everybody's on the end of their tether and you room with people for such a long period. It, uh, it's tough going. So 
you know, it's trying to find that balance. And I think with Deck and Kidney, it was great fun. And as I said, we were playing loads of golf, but we were maybe a little bit too relaxed. Joe Schmidt was, you know, that little bit too intense. I think Andy Farr looks like, uh, you know, certainly speaking to a lot of the players and it looks like he's got that balance right. Are there other gamers in the squad? You see this in a lot of the American sports, this big, you know, PlayStation or, or, or eSport gamers that go in with the NBA squads or whatever. Was that ever ever there with the with you and the lads? Yeah, yeah, there was uh, sometimes there'd be a PlayStation that you'd normally have a big screen that they might put on movies on in the evening. Uh, and then you'd have kind of a, another TV screen somewhere else where you'd have two lads playing FIFA against each other. And um, so, ga- like, if you think about it, Sean, like you've you've 45 to 50 guys all between the ages of probably 18 to what's Johnny Sexton 40 at this stage. Um, so try to keep them all entertained, you know, it, like you have the guys who are, are 18 you're probably just cut out on doing TikTok reels to Johnny Sexton reading the Financial Times you know, you're trying to keep all the guys interested it's, it's not easy so like it's it's kind of a delicate balance of you know how do you bring out the best of the guys on the pitch and make sure they're training to the, to the optimum ability but at the same time you know freshness of the mind is is probably the most important so it's that mental fatigue is really really important too I partly asked that because in the in preparation of the World Cup, I rooted out my PlayStation 2 from the attic uh, and found the Rugby 08 game in which you feature as a, a playable character with a rating of just 79, very controversially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I was never... Uh, I think I just did the, the basics well, Sean, and you don't really get the FIFA ratings for that. I don't think uh, Ronaldo gets that in, in FIFA, but... Listen, I, I just figured nobody played those rugby games. If you're going to play a rugby game, it's all about Jonah Lomu back in the old Oh, yes. Definitely, definitely. No, I had to I had to root it out. That was the, I think it was the Christmas present I got back way back when. And uh, I had to, it's funny rooting it out and seeing the difference in the, in the teams. You could only play Rob Carney on the week in that particular game, which will tell you how old it was. I'll give you an example, though, of like um, even the sort of, uh, level of detail and what kind of players kind of go to expect at a World Cup and you know particularly with Joe Schmidt like I Joe Schmidt is probably the most he is the most successful Ireland coach of all time but I mean like he just would not deal with taking shortcuts it was just incredible the level of detail that he went to and I'll never forget one of the days that we we had to do a fitness session in the morning and then we were going to go out in a team social that evening. And I remember we went and it was one of these kind of shuttle tests where you go out to the line back again, out to the line back again. And, you know, it's something we become fairly used to these kind of fitness tests, but they're absolutely horrible. I mean, you're going until you're sick. And I'll never forget coming down to the team room that evening and everybody's in their casual gear, excited to go out and I'm fairly certain in saying that I think it was in Galway that like all our pictures were around, you know, all our profile pictures were on all the walls. And I I think Joe kind of said, right, guys, before we go out, we want you to go and look at yourself, go find your picture and look at how many times you hit the line and how many times you stop short. And I want you to go around and look at your opposite numbers and the guys who are fine position and see who's willing to take shortcuts uh, going into this World Cup. And I just never forget, you know, that he had actually cameras lined up on all the lines oh my to uh, see, see who stopped short. So that was the sort of, you know, safe to say I didn't stop short again in any of the, other, the fitness tests. That's so intense. Um, I, that, I presume that kind of wears on you as it goes on, though. And you, you did hear that a bit out of the camp in, in 19. 
was there, you know, looking back on it when it comes to the, the Joe Schmidt in particular, did in an environment like that where you're so close together, does that become a bit impress a, a bit oppressive? Listen, it, it does in a sense, but Joe had like a team manager there. He had the players there and a lot of senior players who were able to go to him and kind of say, listen, I think you need to step off a bit or we need to set things up again. I mean, that's when, you know, he was a big believer in the senior players committee. And when you have someone like Johnny Sexton and Rory Best and CJ Stander, Conor Murray, lads who've been there and done it all before, you know, they are very... It's up to them more than the coaches, I think, to go to the coaches and say, listen, I think the lads need a breather. I think we need to do this or else we need to push it on a little bit. So it's kind of that balance because from a coach, he wants to just keep bringing out the best. And it's up, you know, he can't really gauge exactly what's been said in the team room or in the lads' bedroom. So it's kind of that balance. But like when we go back to the start and we saying that, you know, you're with each other for 16, 15, 16 weeks potentially might even be with the same roommate for that whole period of time. You know, it does, you know, by the time the World Cup's over, you're 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 glad to get a break from each other. And, and that's and that's why you do they set up things. Like, I mean, whenever you go, say we went to the the World Cup in New Zealand, you know, at the start I was on the social committee myself with Donegal Callahan. Um I remember Moss O'Leary was on it and then he didn't make the World Cup, so that didn't go down too well. Uh but we had to like, so you have like a social committee. So they're in charge of, you know, telling everybody what's on in the cinema, uh, organizers and maybe a few pints and a night out, uh, going for a coffees or whatever else. Then you might have uh, three lads who are designated for tourist information. So at the start of the week, you know, you might play a match on a Saturday and then you're on a flight or a bus to a new town, you say he's one of the lads has to step up in front of the, the whole team and tell them what tourist information there is for the area. And it's normally just a reason to slag each other off. Then you might have a few of the geeks. They might be able to tell you, um, you know, this is where you get the best broadband or this is where you can download this movie. Or um, then we'd have somebody else who'd be the butt of the joke, maybe the youngest guy in the squad. He'd have to step up in front of the bus and tell everybody a joke. So there's loads of stuff going on. Like it's a team dynamic and there's no shortage of crack and messing. Who were your roommates and who were the best and worst roommates? Well, for most of my career, I roomed with Andrew Trimble. Obviously, was uh, my Ulster teammate. We would have roomed together an awful lot. Um, listen, we knew each other very well. It meant, you know, he was. I was just chatting to him recently about the day that I got the zero out of ten in France. That he actually was the guy who came off the bench and actually had a stormer. So I got the zero out of ten. We were both discussing how awkward it was in the room that night because I was so depressed and he was obviously cock-a-hoop after going so well because uh, he replaced me for a couple of years. Um, so Trindy was there for a while. In 2015, I roomed another Ulster guy, Darren Cave. I also roomed with, I think, Ian Madigan for a bit as well. Um, Cavey was great because he used to bring like a, a an extendable kind of lead, you know, like a, a an adapter plug. So uh, you could kind of plug in everything and he'd always have like scented candles and stuff, which you wouldn't have thought. <laughs> you could tell we were the backs, not the boards. <laughs> wow, that was one thing I never thought he'd be packing for the World Cup is your scented candle, Yankee uh, candle in with your boots. Well, that's why Darren Cave was a special one, all right. Um, and then like, well, I remember, and I feel, still think Johnny Sexton says I was his worst roommate because uh, I have a tendency to do a bit of snoring and... Um, 
one night, I remember I was rooming with him and supposedly my snoring was that bad that at uh, 12 o'clock he decided he was sleeping in the bathroom. He got out of the, out of the room, went back home. Uh, got about five hours sleep and got back into the car and drove into training again. So, uh, so he he said that uh, he was never going to room with me again. So, luckily, uh, that maybe that's why my wife was delighted to see the back of me for sixteen weeks. <laughs> Best sleep she ever got. <laughs> baby, baby. And so, do do does little clicks form in the group when you're there that long? Like the Lancer lads just hang out with each other? Is there a certain crew of people that always goes for coffee every day or what's the what's the crack? Um, listen, I think that people from the outside would see clicks and whenever you're with each other for such a long time, it's hard sometimes not to just go back to the guys that you're most familiar with. But that's the key to the social committee, the key to the captains and the senior players to really encourage guys to, to intersperse and to be honest with you whenever you're together in a preseason for a certain period of time um you kind of you get your mates and there's like lads from Munster and Connacht and Ulster like it's it's mad how actually you just become so close with each other and that's that's uh one of the great things about a world cup that you go through such highs and such lows and that's you know on training and in matches but those are the sort of memories that that make these things special that whenever you bump into each other in years to come, you kind of go back to those things or, you know, who made a fool out of themselves and one of the nights out and stuff. So um, there are clicks at times, but nothing that would be detrimental to the squad. I don't think you kind of, you have your mates and, um, but it's fairly open. We kind of go for coffee or pints with whoever. Mm. Uh, It's funny then, uh, uh, because we hear about different things in different camps. I'm thinking of England 2011, for example, when there was all that controversy with dwarf tossing and Manitoulangi jumping off a ferry. What was the maddest thing that happened in camp while you were there that you can tell us, that's that's PC enough to tell us? It's funny you mention that, because that was in Queenstown, uh, the the whole English... um, wasn't it Mike Tyndall and the dwarf tossing, whatever else? It was a real controversy over that. And the English press went to town with the England team because that they were seen out having a few beers. And I remember a couple of the English players saying, like, it wasn't fair because two weeks ago, the Irish team were here and they were in an absolute tear. But <laughs> that's so true. We went to Queenstown just before the World Cup and we had our kind of like uh, opening tour dinner there and we got uh, presented our, our kind of World Cup caps and stuff which is you know, a real highlight at the start of the World Cup um, but we went you know we got Queenstown I don't know if you've ever been to New Zealand it is an amazing amazing place and if everybody ever goes there you're like you, it's just so so cool but we um, went on a couple of pretty big piss ups when we were in Queenstown uh, Declan Kidney found you know, thought that if we trained well, going on the beers is a good way to get over the jet lag. And I mean, we got up to all sorts. It was absolute chaos over there. But the best thing is, was that the media were all there too in the pubs with us. So, I mean, I remember there was one night you had Stephen Ferris and Sean O'Brien, both with their tops off on top of the bar, um, giving it stacks. And I'm pretty sure some of the the news and sports correspondents were there at the bar with them, and there was just a, there was a real good bond between the the players and the the pundits and the journalists and everything else. So nothing got reported, and it was great. So, um, 
Listen, I think there's a lesson, a World Cup, it's a special time. You are under scrutiny, you're, you're there to do a job and represent your country, but sometimes you have to release the, the valve a bit as well and have a bit of fun and no doubt we were able to do that. Uh, very finally then, obviously we're looking ahead to this weekend, the uh, opener of the World Cup and Ireland's chances. Tough, tough pool. Uh, and you have kind of an interesting take on who the, the quarterfinal, because we're all looking ahead and assuming the pool goes well, obviously, to France or New Zealand. Who would you rather face? Uh, yeah, a lot of people, most people have heard, talk. listen, Sean, I think first things first, the quarterfinal is going to be an incredibly difficult prospect. I just don't want to get too far ahead of myself either because Romania, we should beat them okay. Tonga, you just don't know, but we should beat them. South Africa and Scotland, I mean, they're two teams that are bang on form at the minute. And it could, if we were to lose to South Africa, it could come down to a winner takes all all against Scotland, the fan of the pool. And although we have a brilliant record against Scotland, if anybody watched the Six Nations match against them, it was unbelievably tight in the first half, uh, really physical. And if Finn Russell hits form, you just actually don't know what rabbit he could pull out of the hat. So I just, I don't want to get a bit too ahead of myself, but let's say that we do make the quarterfinal. It's going to be either New Zealand, who are a team you never really want to face in a World Cup, or France, who are the home team, who are bang on form too. Um, most people I've read have said New Zealand. And um, personally, I think I'd prefer to play France, who are the home team. I just think in a big match like that, the pressure of being at home, there's the weight of expectation on them. And... You know, France, if you watch them at all, they kind of play in fits and spurts. Like they're very quiet. Nothing happens for a little while. And then all of a sudden they get a bit of, a bit of momentum. And I think Ireland are well set. Their defence is well set to maybe tame that. So if I had a pick, I would go for France. But um, listen, who bloody knows? Hmm. It's an absolute nightmare draw. It's actually it's a bit of a disgrace the way it's all lined up. But anyway, if you if you got to win the World Cup, you got to beat the best teams. Absolutely. And Tommy, you're going to be doing, obviously, uh, along with presenting Ireland AM every morning, you're going to be on doing stuff with the BBC during the World Cup? Yeah, yeah, I'm heading over there. I'm doing some commentary for them. I'm doing podcasts and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, listen, I just, I want to be over there. As I said, it's a difficult pool for Ireland. It's a difficult draw, but there is an amazing chance for them to create some bit of history. And if you're going to be, you know, if I, I just want to be there. I want to see it. I want a sample of the atmosphere. I've never been to a World Cup as a supporter and, well, I suppose as a pundit. Um, so I can't wait to get over there. It's going to be an amazing competition. It'll be great. Listen, Tommy Bow, thank you so much for your time. You're very generous with us. And uh, thanks for chatting to us. Thanks, Sean. Great to, good to chat to you again.